We are not in competition with anybody else. And God's love for you is not based on what He gives you, based on what He gives somebody else. God loves you because He loves you. And God's love for us has nothing to do with our performance, has everything to do with God's nature. So don't stack yourself up or don't view yourself based on how you relate to somebody else who you think is in the same place as you. God has designed things for people in a specific way for a specific time. We can try to plan out our lives in a way that we think will benefit us the most, where to go to school, who to marry, when to have kids. But what if things don't go our way? Today, Pastor Daniel will encourage us to let God influence our plans, just as we'll hear the children of Israel following God's lead in a very specific way. It was all done for God's glory. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, Gifts for God. All right, open up in your Bibles to the book of Numbers. Numbers, we're in chapter seven this evening as we continue our study here through the book of Numbers here at Crossroads. You know, one of the blessings that we have of going verse by verse through the Bible is that along the way you end up covering all sorts of things that if you were kind of picking and choosing your text, you just skip over. You know, and, and for me as a teacher, I love it because so many texts you're like, oh, well, okay, Lord, you know, like, what do we do with that? But it is amazing how often it's the texts that you maybe would have never have chosen that are really the ones that give you the richest blessings. Because if it was up to you, you're like, you know, I'd rather talk about maybe John's gospel or Matthew's gospel. I'm definitely not doing Leviticus, you know. But all of God's word is purposeful. It all prospers in that for which he sent it. And so there are lessons for us to learn. I mean, I think of this series we're doing right now called Camp, which will end in the middle of Numbers chapter 10 in a few weeks. I mean, nobody really wants to teach this part of the book of Numbers because it starts off with like a camping diagram and then we number all these different people and we're like, what about the Levites? And everyone's like, well, who's the Levites? And we say, this is the Levites and this is what they're doing. You know, and you have all, all this detail and it almost seems superfluous detail. Like, is this really necessary? Like, I mean, if you have the Psalms and you have like numbers, like why is it there? But then you start to realize that God is orderly in the way that God works and God isn't honored by disorder. You realize that God in bringing his people from Egypt ultimately into the promised land that they would do better if they went in with some stipulations and rules than if they just went in with no rules, that there was a way that God wanted them to present themselves because their ordering actually reflects who he is. Now, you might say, okay, well, so great. So what does that have to do with me? Exactly the fact that so much of God's word is meant to show us how God 
wants us to reflect who God is in the world. See, we are so focused because we are ourselves. We're focused on our own experiences, but we fail oftentimes to say, well, how does this reflect in the world? If I do life this way, what does this show people about who Jesus is? In a lot of ways, it's said tritely, but honestly, that God's kids are often the only Bible that people will ever read. Like the Apostle Paul said that, we're, that he didn't need letters of recommendation. Why? Because you are my living letters. That the way that you live reflects on what my ministry is and who I, who I am. You know, and people may never read Genesis. They're probably not going to read Leviticus. They might not even read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or the book of Romans, but people are watching our lives. And so as we study some more obscure sections in the Bible, the question is always, Lord, what does it mean? And what does it mean? Like, what does it mean in its context? And then, Lord, what does it mean in my life? What is this teaching about who God is and who I am in light of who God is? And what is it teaching about how I ought to live my life? That question, anytime you read the scriptures, how shall I live now, should always be our application question, isn't it? We don't just want to fill our heads with Bible knowledge as much as we love that. It's not just stats like, oh yeah, I can tell you um, the fact that the New York Giants got crushed on Monday Night Football. Yeah. I thought Tony Romo was the only bad quarterback, but I got my Eli Manning as well. You know? The Bible is not just statistics and facts. You end up having to apply it and say, if this is what God's word says, then what does this mean for how I am at work? What does this mean by how I treat my kids or my spouse? Or what does it mean on how I should be as a neighbor? And so today's study in chapter seven of the book of Numbers is a really long and really detailed list of presence. That's really what it is. You got to love it as a, as a parent. Parents know what this is like, right? Where your kid has a birthday party and they, people come over, especially when they're little, and they bring all the wrapped presents. And the kids are just ripping all the presents open and mom and dad are going crazy trying to write down who gave what and, you know, so you can write the right thank you card, right? That's exactly what Numbers chapter 7 is. It's a long list of this is all the gifts that each tribe brought for the building of the tabernacle. And what I think is fascinating about that is that God actually decided that he wanted that list of gifts put in his word. Think about that. That for most people, you get the list of gifts, you write the thank you cards, and then you discard the list because you're on to the next thing. But God actually chose to preserve the gifts that were given to the tribes in his word for all of time, as long as we're going to have the Bible until Jesus comes back, that this has been read over and over again for thousands of years, that these are the gifts that the children of Israel brought. Fascinating. It's because God doesn't miss anything, and God doesn't forget anything, and God still enjoys the fact that his kids desire to worship him. It's beautiful. So let's jump on in. Numbers chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle that he anointed and consecrated it 
and all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's houses, who were leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered made an offering. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and 12 oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders, and for each one an ox, and they presented them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service, and four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But the sons of Kohath he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things, which they carried on their shoulders. Now, it's funny, in, in my notes I just put carts and cattle. That's what I put over this little section. Because that's really what it's about. This is the preparation for the moving of the tabernacle. Now, it begins that Moses finished setting up the tabernacle and he anointed and consecrated it and all its furnishings, the alternate utensils, and he anointed them and he consecrated them. Now, you notice those two words. He anointed them and he consecrated them. Now this is important because remember, we got the building of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was erected in Exodus chapter 40. Right? And now we have they're going to start traveling again and it's erected and it's consecrated and it's anointed again. Right? But this idea, the tabernacle is consecrated and it's anointed. Now, when something is anointed, the idea was they would take the anointing oil and they would place it upon it. The idea is it is now being marked out for the work of service. And for you and I, oil in the Bible is a type of what? Or a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, some people came and asked me, said, hey, so Pastor Daniel, what was going on last Wednesday? So when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, right, if you believe the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if you read the book of Acts, what you find is that some people, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus, at that moment, they are empowered for ministry where they are filled to overflow, and they call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For some people, that happened at the exact same time they put their faith and trust in Jesus. But if you keep reading the book of Acts, what else do you find? There's some people who believe in Jesus, like we didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was. And Paul prays for him, and then what happens? They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. For me, it's not about timing. It's about we believe in Jesus and we want that baptism, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit for ministry. Right? Now, what I'll tell you is this. What I said is probably pretty controversial if you've been around church because every church has got like a, it's either this or it's this and it can't be this and it can't be that. I'm just saying, look, I don't care how and when it happens as long as it happens. That's my position. And I get that from the book of Acts because I find people who believe and they get baptized in the Spirit. I get people who believe and they get baptized later. For me, it's not a timing thing. If you believe the Spirit of God dwells in you and the Holy Spirit wants to flow through you and stir within you, that we can be empowered to do radically cool but ordinary works of service that have extraordinary ramifications. So when you see that the, the tabernacle before it's used is anointed, we need to remember that we want to be anointed. We want our lives to have the flavor of the Holy Spirit, so to speak. 
We want our lives to be impacted by the influence of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Ephesians? He said, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I always say, he didn't just choose that picture by chance. If you've ever been under the influence of alcohol, I'm not encouraging you to do that to be able to make the analogy. But the idea here is that you're now under its influence. And it's actually the perfect example, although a negative example, of the fact that God wants us to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And most people who are under the influence of alcohol, it it diminishes who they are. Being under the influence of the Holy Spirit will actually push forward the truest person who you're supposed to be. The person who Jesus died and rose again that you would be. So that anointing is important. But not only is there an anointing, there is a consecration. And that consecration means to be set apart which means to be held as distinct. See, the tabernacle was not a barbecue party tent that every time everyone got together, we're going to throw up the tabernacle, we're going to do the lambada through the tabernacle. It's not like that. But the tabernacle has very specific usage, and it was only used for the things of God and for the worship of God. It was not for any other purpose. And we have to remember that not only do we want to be anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we have to see our lives as set apart for only God's purposes. And can we just be honest that we all struggle with that, don't we? Because we know we're set apart, but we kind of don't really want to be. We kind of like being just common and normal. But God's like, no, no, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body's not your own. What you do with your body matters because my spirit takes up residence in you. So don't think of yourself as common. Think of yourself as set apart, just like the tabernacle. You see, those two words are powerful. It's anointed and consecrated. And then look at what happens. In in verse two, the leaders of Israel and the heads of their father's houses who were leaders of the tribe and over those who were numbered made an offering. Now, we met all of these folks in chapters one and two. So if you, if you missed the names or you're looking for good baby names, go back to chapter one and two. You get a whole list of names, boy names. You don't want, well, you can name the girls the boy names too if you want to. We're in that kind of a culture, no problem, right? And so, so there's a whole list of names. So each one of them, they begin to bring offerings, right? And if you notice, the offering is carts, and cattle. Carts and cattle. So the idea, now remember, all of these carts and cattle, because the Levite's job was to be able to break down the tabernacle and move it to wherever they're going. They haven't come to a settled place. They're still pilgrims at this point. And you guys know that they're going to be traveling in the wilderness for 40 years before they actually make it into the promised land. So these cattle and these carts were designed to be able to transport the tabernacle and all the stuff that goes along with it. And so the Levites need this help. And when they break down the carts and the cattle, what you find, of course, is that one of the tribes didn't get any. Why? Because for the most holy things, they weren't allowed to go on carts. Do you remember that? How Gershon and Meri and Kohath, they all had, a, there was a division of labor. And the Kohathites were only allowed to actually carry the Ark of the Covenant. They were only allowed to carry all the things that were in the holy place. And so it's amazing because they didn't get any carts. Now, if that was 21st century, 
They'd be like, I can't believe God doesn't love the Kohathites. He didn't give many carts or cattle. And he made them carry that stuff. I mean, where's the help? Where's the love? Now, what do you learn from that? Is that God does not have kind of an even Stephen view of how things should be dispersed. God says, look, I'm going to give everyone according to their, what does it say? To their service. According to their service. According to their need. So what does that teach us? We shouldn't compare ourselves with each other. Paul in the church in Corinth, the first letter says, they who judge themselves by themselves are what? They're not wise. See, we choose to define ourselves based on how we're stacking up next to the next person or our peer group, but God doesn't view us that way. God provides for each one according to their service, according to the work that they're doing. And the Kohathites, they didn't need oxen and they didn't need carts because God says, look, I, that stuff that you're carrying is so holy, I don't even want it to go on a cart. You get the privilege of bearing that burden on your own. Now, I bring that up because I am sure that in our lives, we are struggling with areas of our life because we're like, well, why does that person get that? What about me, Lord? They're such a scoundrel and you're blessing them. And I'm so good, even though I'm judging the snot out of them. And, you know, I'm so good. And what do I get? And they get carts and oxen and I got to carry this stuff all by my own. They got a, they got a golf caddy. I got to carry my own bag. We do that, don't we? We do that because that's the way we are. But God wants to remind us we are not in competition with anybody else. And God's love for you is not based on what he gives you, based on what he gives somebody else. God loves you because he loves you. And God's love for us has nothing to do with our performance, has everything to do with God's nature. So don't stack yourself up or don't view yourself based on how you relate to somebody else who you think is in the same place as you. God gives to each one according to their service. Each one of the Levitical tribes needed a different amount of carts given what they were asked to do by God. And God provides each one with exactly what they need. So what I want to encourage you to do is that when you find yourself looking at someone else and be like, oh, why do they get that? And they get that. And what's up with that? You just got to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I just want to rejoice in what you've given me. And Lord, help me to be faithful to the service you've asked of me. And if we can do that, it takes away all the competition. And then you can rejoice with people who rejoice. Why? Because the reason we don't rejoice with people who rejoice oftentimes is because we're embittered that we're not getting what they're getting. Can we just admit we do that? One of the, the most profound examples of that for me, I may have told it before, I don't remember. When I was a pastor in New Jersey, there was these two gals and they were prayer partners and they were both were having a hard time getting pregnant, Right? And so they were, they were like prayer sisters. They would get together and we would pray for them and they were trying, they're trying, they're trying, trying. And sure enough, all of a sudden one day, one of the gals came in and she had like the pregnancy glow. You know, before the pregnancy, you know, green thing that goes on. You know, the morning, it was like, it was like you just found out and even if you were a little morning sick, you didn't even care because you're so excited. And she came into church and she was just beaming. And the other girl, I'll never forget it because I was, I was watching the other girl just got white as a ghost, started crying and just left, right? And that's like a, a kind of a normal reaction, right? But what happened was, of course, as God always has a tendency to do, about 
three months later, the other girl got pregnant. And then you know what she did? She apologized to the first girl. She said, I didn't rejoice with you because I was too busy thinking, why did you get pregnant and not me? When I should have just been happy for you because your timing is different from my timing. How often do we miss out on rejoicing with somebody because we feel that they got something we deserved? And when the Bible says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice, we can do that when our identity is not tied to us living up to some standard that God is doing in someone else's life. You could imagine if the Levitical tribes were not careful, they'd be like, well, he got six and he got four and I got, he got none, you know? God must really love that guy and really doesn't love that. He's got to carry it at themselves. But that had nothing to do. God was distributing what was needed, each according to their service. Each one according to their service. And, you know, if you think about it, the tribe of Kohath in verse 9, who gets known, they, they're also the ones who are blessed with the most holy things. And sometimes when God has given you something special, the burden is a little heavier. That's okay. That's okay. It's okay that the tribe of Kohath, they, they got to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Now, how many of you guys remember the story when the guy died because he tried to prop up the Ark of the Covenant on the cart. Yeah, you remember that story, don't you? People say, I can't believe, remember, they found the Ark of the Covenant, they're trying to bring it to Jerusalem, and the guy tried, the cart kind of, saw, and a guy touched it. And he died right there. He's like, I can't believe God would do it. It was never supposed to be on a cart in the first place. God didn't design it to go on a cart. He designed it to be carried by people. Why? You know why, right? Because the Ark of the Covenant is a picture of who? Jesus. Jesus. The whole thing's a picture of Jesus. And when, if you could just stick Jesus on a cart, it means that you can make it easier for Jesus. It's the same sin that Satan tried to make Jesus commit when he said, look, man, I'll give you all, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow down and worship me. And Jesus is like, no. Why? Because what's Satan trying to say? He's like, I'll give you the kingdoms without the cross. I'll give it to you now. Jesus knew he was the king of kings and lord of lords. He knew that the only way to the crown was through the cross. And Satan's like, no, no, no. I'll give you the easy way out. You can take a shortcut. I'll give it to you now. There's going to be no being forsaken by God. There's going to be no death on the cross. None of that stuff. I'll just give it to you right now. And oftentimes, we want to take the easy route, don't we? Because it's easy. I mean, who wants to take the hard route, right? Who wants to be the person blazing the trail where no one's gone before? We just want to be on the nice, through the wide gate, on the easy road. Everyone's on it. It's fun. But it leads to where? To destruction. So God said, I don't want the Ark of the Covenant on a cart anyway. But they did it. They weren't heeding the voice of the Lord in his word. So think about it. That's all just the setup. Look what happens in verse 10. It says, Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, verse 11, they shall offer their offering one liter each day for the dedication of the altar. Jesus is real. God provides to each person according to their service. That's what we heard about the privileges given to the children of God. 
We can be confused when we see others being blessed who we feel aren't worthy. God reminds us we're not in competition with others. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. We are seeking people just like you to partner with us. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more this month, we'll send a special three-part mini-series from a brand new series entitled Friction. To receive your three-CD set, visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. There you can give a one-time gift or support Jesus is Real Radio monthly. So visit JesusIsRealRadio.com today. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel will reach the part of numbers where the gifts of God are listed and detailed. Although it is repetitive, we'll find out what the message really is. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.